Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have made. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. Lord, we thank you for this series, and as we wrap it up today, Lord, we've been taught many great things from Pastor Damon, from your word. Lord, life is too short for many things to pass us by. And help us today, Lord, uh, to hear what I'm going to say. I ask for the anointing of God upon this message. And Lord, we thank you that we are here gathered in this place in one name, in one body, serving one Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Someone once said, failure isn't just an event, but rather a judgment about an event. In other words, failure isn't just something that happens to us. It's the way we think about the outcome of what has happened to us. And as a result, many people, people for fear of failure, will do nothing, while those who don't feel failure will do something. Did you know that Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, had his first book rejected by 27 publishers before it was finally published in 1937. Fortunately, Dr. Seuss didn't let those rejections define him as a failure. And he never gave up on the book, which was to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street. Anybody read that one? And from that book, he went on to write 44 books, including two that many of your mothers have read to your children, The Cat in the Hat and Green Eggs and Ham. See if you know who said this. I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Anybody want to venture a guess who that is? Who was it? Give him a star. Michael Jordan. And most of us wouldn't consider him a failure, would we? Many people would point to a familiar story in the Gospels as evidence of Peter's failure. In fact, I believe it was one of the great stories of success in the Bible. There are two categories of people in the story. There are those who, because of fear, did nothing. And there is Peter, who did something. Peter reminds us that a person can either stay in the boat and do nothing for God, or they can get out of the boat and do something for him. I want us to look at the passage. It's a long passage. I'm going to read the passage, and you can follow along on the screen. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 
But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Notice verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. That's an interesting piece of information. Jesus put his disciples into a fishing boat that he knew was going to run right into a storm. The Greek word translated here for made is the word compelled. Jesus made, or he compelled his disciples to get into the boat. He did so with the knowledge that a storm was brewing on the waters. In John's account of this event, John said it occurred right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And the people who witnessed that miracle, they got all stirred up, and they wanted to try to force Jesus to become an earthly king. And we know that was a complete misunderstanding of Jesus' mission to earth. Some Bible scholars believe that the disciples may have been caught up in the enthusiasm of the crowd, and Jesus knew they needed to be removed from the area quickly. And after this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which the disciples shared with Jesus, they passed out the elements, the fish and the, and the weight and the bread. A storm was on the way. Jesus compelled his disciples to get into a boat headed directly toward the storm. Now, I believe this reminds us there are times when God allows us to enjoy a victory, but sometimes right after and on the heels of that victory, a storm comes into our lives. We may be on the mountaintop one day, but before long we find ourselves back down in the valley where we once again experience the storms of life. And I would like to believe personally, that since Jesus put his disciples into a boat, knowing a storm was coming on the waters, you know, it couldn't have been that bad a storm, just a little bitty, bitty, bitty storm. However, if you look at Mark's account of the event, Mark says this, he saw the disciples, referring to Jesus, straining at the oars because the wind was against them. The winds were beating so violently against the boat that disciples were having trouble keeping that fishing boat on course. 
This was no ordinary storm on the Sea of Galilee. In October 1991, the Andrea Gale, a 72-foot-long fishing boat with six crew members headed for the Atlantic Ocean on what was supposed to be a routine fishing trip. But it would turn out to be its last voyage. The Andrea Gale ran into one of the most powerful and dangerous natural forces on earth. A full-blown hurricane on the open seas with winds of 120 plus miles an hour. Now you may know the tragic story of the sinking of the Andrea Gale and the loss of her crew from the movie The Perfect Storm. The expression perfect storm describes an event where a rare combination of circumstances will come together to create a disaster. Now, I'm not sure the disciples would have referred to what they were experiencing as a perfect storm. But we can be sure that it ranked high on the list of storms they had encountered in their lives. And I don't want you to forget this. Jesus allowed them to go into it. This helps teach us that nowhere in the Bible do we find a heavenly pass that gets us out of the class called the storms of life. I know some of you have faced your own perfect storm. Or maybe I should say perfect storms. And we need to be reminded that the Bible never promises followers of Christ a life free from suffering, sickness, sorrow, or pain. Many times, just like the disciples, the Lord in his sovereign, infinite wisdom allows us to go into a storm. His intention is never to break us down and sink us, but to build us up. The storms of life aren't meant to destroy you or destroy me, but to make us stronger in Him. The storms of life that you and I face, such as sickness and divorce and financial troubles and death, aren't meant to drive us from God, but they're meant to bring us closer to Him. Never forget that behind every storm we can find the weather forecast of God's love for us. And I believe that we should encourage each other with this fact. God's love is greater than anything in all creation, including any life storm that comes your way. And I want you to read along with me what Paul said here in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Read it with me. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I find great comfort in knowing 
that nothing in all of creation, that covers it all, nothing will ever be able to come between me and God's love for me. Like Paul, I'm convinced of that. Nothing, now or forever. And I hope that you come to a point in your life that you say, I'm convinced of that too. There were two categories of people in the boat. First, there was a cowardly majority. All 12 people in the boat were filled with fear and lack of courage. And we read this in verses 25 and 26. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Just let me stop there for a moment. It's called Lake Gennesaret in some translations. It's also the Sea of Galilee. It's the same body of water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. The fourth watch of the night took place between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. And in this early morning time, the waves are crashing, the wind is at gale force. When the disciples, when Jesus saw the disciples, or they saw Jesus, the disciples didn't recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. Anybody ever seen a ghost? Besides Casper? Or the Ghostbusters? The storm had distorted their vision of Jesus Christ. And as a result, they cried out in fear. The word fear comes from an old English word for danger. The disciples sensed danger all around them. And now they believe a ghost is headed their way. Fear had paralyzed them, as it does many of us. And it cheated them out of an unbelievable blessing. If they would have gotten out of the boat and gone to Jesus. The storms of life can paralyze you and me and cause us to stay in the boat. But hear me, friends. Life is definitely too short to not get out of the boat. The second category of people in the boat was a courageous minority. And this included only one man, Peter. He had the courage, even in the midst of the storm, to get out of the boat and go to Jesus. Now it's clear that initially Peter was one of the cowardly majority and he was filled with fear also. But unlike the other disciples, he never allowed his fear to paralyze him to the point of inaction. Verse 27 we read, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. What is it? Don't be afraid. Now here, Jesus was speaking to all 12 of the disciples, but the Bible records one courageous voice from the boat, just one. And that person makes a request. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. We all know what happened next. Come, he said, 
Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, we often jump to verse 30, and we get on the bandwagon of criticizing Peter. But when he saw the wind, Peter was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. While it's true, sitting here in our nice, comfortable sanctuary, we can say this, it's true that Peter should have never looked at the wind and the waves of his circumstances. But don't forget, he was the only one who got out of the boat. The cowardly majority stayed in the boat where things were safer, where things were more certain, But the courageous minority got out of the boat and down on the water. Can you imagine what the the stay-in-the-boat people must have been saying? You know, maybe something like, Peter, what's wrong with you? You've been around fish too long. We knew you weren't too smart, but don't you have enough sense to know you can't walk on water, Peter? And let me warn you, if you ever come to the realization that life is too short to not get out of the boat, and you decide to do something for God, you're going to be surrounded by some stay-in-the-boat crowd of Christians. They have no desire to get out of the boat. And they don't mind talking about those who do. Maybe not to their face. They have no intention. They have no interest in getting out of the boat and doing anything for God. But they'll criticize and they'll complain and they'll murmur about those who are doing all they can to faithfully serve God by getting out of the boat. The stay in the boat crowd say things like, well, you know, we've never done it that way before. Or what if things don't work out like, like you think they're going to work out? Or, or it's too expensive and we can't afford it? Or, 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 or. And I could go on all day long and you could too, fill in the blanks. Pastors all across America hear from the stay-in-the-boat crowd most every week. They say things like, I would come to church more often, but, you know, I've got to catch up on my sleep. I've got to mow the grass. I've got to watch the big game. I've got to spend time with my family. They say, yeah, pastor, I'd get involved, and and I would use my God-given talents and gifts to serve the church and to serve other people, but I'm just too busy, don't you know? Now, when things slow down at work, and life isn't as hectic at home, and when it's more convenient, then I'll do it, sure, I'll get out of the boat then. Well, here's the newsflash. It's never convenient to serve God. There will always be something that hinders us from serving Him. If we let it, or if we're looking for it. I read there are three classes of people. Number one, those who make things happen. Number two, those who watch things happen. And number three, those who don't know what happened. And we're all in one of those classes. See, the stay in the boat crowd, they watch, it, watch what happens. But then they don't know what happened. 
But the get-out-of-the-boat crowd are those who make things happen. You can either do nothing, like the the stay-in-the-boat crowd, or you can get out of the boat and realize that life's too short. And I got out of the boat. If you're going to do something for God, whether you live in Alton, Illinois, whether you live in Atlanta, Georgia, whether you live in Athens, Greece, you've got to get out of the boat. Red, yellow, black, or white, rich or poor, whatever nationality, you've got to get out of the boat. I don't believe it's a coincidence that the number one selling chair in America isn't worker boy or risker boy, R-I-S-K-R, but the lazy boy. And I've got two of them at home. I love them. The stand-the-boat crowd is the lazy boy crowd. They found their spiritual comfort zone, and nothing or no one is going to move them off their seat. They haven't discovered yet that life is too short to not get out of the boat and do something for God. We should notice what Jesus said in this passage that sustained Peter. Jesus appears to the twelve walking on the water in the midst of a storm, and just like the other disciples, Peter was fearful. However, it seems in reading the passage that Peter's faith rises up within him and he seeks confirmation as to the identity of the Lord Jesus. In verse 28, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. In response, Jesus offers one word. What was that word? Jesus said, come. You see, once he's certain that Jesus is there with him in the storm, Peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk toward him. It's interesting that Peter didn't ask Jesus for a promise, but a command. He didn't say, Lord, if it's you, promise me that I'm not going to sink. That's what I want to hear. He never asked for a guarantee from sinking in order to get out of the boat. Once Peter hears the word, come, he gets out of the boat, and he's on his way to Jesus. If God's called you to do something for him, what else are you waiting for this morning? Life's too short to not get out of the boat. If God has placed a burden in your heart for a specific ministry, whether it's here or in the community, what else are you waiting on? Life's too short to not get out of the boat. Recently I read something that challenged me to think about all of this. This person writes, 
The day will come when you're looking back on a life of honest conversations you never had, great prayers you never prayed, risks you never took, sacrificial gifts you never gave, and lives you never touched. You realize there was a world of desperate need and a great God calling you to be part of something bigger than yourself. You see the person you could have become but didn't. You never followed your calling. You never got out of the boat. There was not only what Jesus said that sustained Peter, but what Jesus did that saved Peter. Peter receives the Lord's command, come. And contrary to the majority opinion in the boat, Peter gets out of the boat and he goes to Jesus. However, giving in to his doubts and his fears, Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. And when he does, he looks around and sees the effects of the storm, like you had last night here in the Alton area, the wind and the rain, and he begins to sink. And at that moment, he prays one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. He prays a prayer that followers of Christ have been praying for thousands of years. Three words. Lord, save me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've already decided that life's too short to not get out of the boat. So you got out of the boat, but now you're in the middle of a storm, and you've lost sight of Jesus. And I would encourage you to go ahead and pray Peter's prayer. Lord, save me. And pray it again and again. Lord, save me. Did Jesus save him? We know he saved him. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. You see that? As soon as Peter cried out for his help, Jesus let him drown. Oh no, Jesus caught him. Some of you believe that's the way Jesus wants to treat you. That he's not going to catch you. He's not going to save you. And so you're staying in a boat. But some of you have prayed that same prayer. And you've cried out in that same way. Lord, save me. Save me. I have prayed those words or words similar to it thousands of times in my life. And I know what it is to have Jesus catch me and save me as I was facing those storms of life. The psalmist also knew because he could write this. He said, I will call to God for help, and the Lord will save me. Not might, not maybe, not if I'm a good person this week. The Lord will save me. If Peter hadn't gotten out of the boat, just think about it. He would have missed a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see Jesus manifest his glory and power through him. 
When you think about it, as far as I know, we only know two people who ever walked on water. Jesus and Peter. Well, maybe that's not entirely true. Because there's a story about a man named Bill from Minnesota who all of his life was told that his father and his grandfather walked on water on their 21st birthday. So on his 21st birthday, Bill and a friend headed to the local lake. Bill said, you know, if my dad and my granddad can do it, I can too. And when they arrived at the lake, Bill and his friend rented a boat, and they headed for the middle of the lake. And Bill stepped off the side of the boat, and he sank like a rock. He bobbed to the surface, sputtering and gasping for breath and coughing, thought he'd drown. His friend pulled him inside the boat, and they headed for home. When Bill got home, he asked his grandmother for an explanation. He said, Grandma, why couldn't I walk on water on my 21st birthday like my father and my grandfather? The feeble old Minnesota grandma took Bill by the hands and she looked him in the eyes and she said, that's because your father and grandfather were born in January and you were born in July. I know of at least one Bill here. I don't think he's that dumb. I know he's not. Our story didn't take place in the winter. And the water wasn't frozen. But Peter walked on it. To do that, Peter had to get out of the boat in order to see and experience his miracle. The miracle that had his name on it. We know that when he got out of the boat, that wasn't the end of the story. We don't know how long he walked on the water. The Bible doesn't tell us. But at some time on the water, Peter began to sink into it. But here's the key. He didn't fail. He didn't fail. The failures of the story were the disciples who stayed in the boat. But because Peter was willing to exercise his faith and get out of the boat, he witnessed up close the saving grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So here it is. If you're not interested in serving God or or doing something to advance his kingdom in the world today, then stay in your comfort zone. Don't get out of the boat. It's your choice. It's your decision to make. But if you're interested in doing something for God and seeing his kingdom expand, then you have to get out of the boat. And yes, when you get out of the boat, you may begin to sink and you may begin to fall. But the promise is Jesus will be there. And you'll experience his grace and his love and mercy for you. And he will save you. When you decide that life's too short to not get out of the boat, then Jesus will have the opportunity to manifest his glory and power in your life. Just like he did in Peter's. 
And who knows, you may be part of a miracle. A miracle that has your name written on it. God's given Christ followers everything they need to do something for Him. Yet so many of them ever get out of the boat. They stay there all their lives. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. We can stay in the boat and do nothing. Or we can get out of the boat and do something to advance the kingdom of God in 2016. So here it is. What's it going to be? Are you in or are you out? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the life of Peter. Thank you that in that boat on very rough seas, there was one out of 12 that was willing to step over the side and do something that no one outside of God himself has ever done. He walked on water. Lord, he was a man filled with fear But you changed him, and you gave him the faith he needed to come to you out on the waters. Lord, you're always out there on the storms of life. You will never let us sink and fail. You will lift us up. You will catch us. You will save us. Give us the courage we need, Heavenly Father, to step out of the boat. Give us the faith and the nudge we need to step out of the boat and do something for you, before we breathe our last. Life is too short to not get out of the boat. Whether it's today on Mother's Day in 2016 or a year from now, Lord, life just keeps going on. Thank you, Lord, that as I look out upon this body of people, I know that so many of them have gotten out of the boat. Lord, they've taken that step of faith. We thank you, Lord, that you're there with us. So I pray, keep calling us. Keep calling us out on the water. Keep calling us, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There'll be some prayer teams on both sides as we do every Sunday. You're welcome to come up front and receive prayer. God bless you.